You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Let's find Esther chapter 4. And uh, let me pray, and then I want to read that chapter to you this morning. Oh, Father, we just love you and are so thankful. Thankful for your son, Jesus. Thankful for the, the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Thankful for one another. Thankful that you have called us to live in such a time as this. Help us today to hear your voice as you speak life to us. Help us to gain understanding from this particular book of Scripture. Help us today to be enlightened. Help our eyes, both literal and of our heart, to be open to see Jesus in in the power of Scripture. Help us, Lord, that we will be faithful, that we will follow you and be faithful in what we do that we will, as a church, make an impact, make a difference in this community and beyond, and that uh, your preached word will have impact upon us. We realize, Father, that we can do nothing apart from Jesus, and I ask you that in these moments you allow me as preacher to decrease in order that Jesus as Savior can increase and that uh, we can see your hand at work through what is said today. May you get glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you're there, I'm reading out of the, the English Standard Version here. Um, I want to just go through this, this particular chapter in Esther, as I think this is really the, sort of the pivotal or shifting chapter in Esther and, uh, and read that to you as we begin this morning. All right, so chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes, and he went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decrees reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathash, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathash went went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go out to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathash went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. And then Esther spoke to Hathash and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except 
the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I've not been called to come into the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said, and then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, nights, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. This passage that we're reading is the climax of the story of Esther, I believe. And it, it illustrates what I have sort of seen uh, as, as one of the, the big themes of the book. And that's this idea that I want to try to get through here and, and, and make very pronounced to you. And, and uh, it's the idea of or the concept of reversal. Because I think this is exactly what God does in, in the act of salvation is he reverses something uh, for you and I. So I want the story of Esther to be seen here as, as a story of a series of different reversals along the way. And um, the first re reversal sort of just occurs right away into the story, uh, which sets the, the order for this young woman and what she is able to do. Uh, and that is when Queen Vashti is deposed from the, 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 the seat of queen, if you will, over this empire. And, uh, and she loses her place and is, is released. Her, her, her position, if you will, is completely reversed here. And, and the second, I think, happens as, as Esther is herself uh, coming up or rising up. And she goes from being this unknown kind of little Jewish girl to actually becoming the queen of Persia. She actually rises up and takes this position. And so then at that point, we sort of get more introduced to, to Mordecai and to Haman, these other characters. Uh, they're very, very clearly uh, clashing opposites, if you will, in the story here. And they're set uh, against one another. And then that leads us up to chapter 4, which I think here is the kind, kind of the climax of the story. And in this particular chapter, chapter 4, we're seeing Mordecai uh, as he calls on Esther and says, hey, it's time to take some action here. And he's indicating that, that she was put in her position for this time, for just such a time as this. And she apparently agrees and she begins to take control of the situation so she's no longer acting in the ways that she had been acting uh, as, as a, a queen or, or as, as the one who was chosen by the king. Uh, but she is actually uh, issuing some commands here, if you will, now. So she's really taking charge and she's commanding Mordecai. She's commanding the Jewish community that they pray and they fast on, on her behalf. Um, and so then here's this other reversal where Esther sort of becomes the person who will literally save her people rather than, than uh, being just a pawn, if you will, uh, among others, all right? Um, and, and that's kind of what she 
has been in, 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 in the story up until this point. It's, it's just some type of pawn. All right? But now also in this chapter 4, we start to see something, I think, that, it, that just really rises up. And it's sort of inferred. It's sort of silhouetted uh, throughout this book. And that is that we begin to see some, some allusions to Yahweh, to God, all right? Not only do we see God start to, to show in this, but we see His power at work here, all right? We begin to see God working, and, 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 and we begin to see also that, that these changes, these shifts, these reversals, if you will, that they are, they are under the control of God. They are under His command, under His power, under His sovereignty, all right? And so Esther goes on to the king and, and, and he extends his scepter to her and the, the banqueting begins and all of that. And, and in the midst of this, we, we see Haman and we see Mordecai and, and they are contrasted very much with each other, clashing, if you will. Haman plans to hang Mordecai, if, if you will, and, and, and Mordecai is honored by the king and, and Haman is forced to honor Mordecai. And you can read all the details of, of this sort of thing that's happening here as this banqueting starts. Um, but, but, but you see more and more of these reversals happening as these men are shifting and uh, as things at, at the last banquet, as a matter of fact, Esther reveals her identity and she reveals her request. And, and, and this, is, this is where uh, Haman in this reversal is condemned to hang uh, on, on the gallows. And these gallows were built for Mordecai. Mordecai was supposed to hang on the gallows. All right, but Haman hangs on the gallows instead. All right, and so then we see a sort of a final reversal that happens here uh, in in all of this, and this is where the king orders this this sort of second uh, decree or this second edit, if you will, and the Jews are allowed to defend themselves from from this situation where they are trying to be annihilated out. And uh, all this stuff is 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 going on in, in just a, a a crazy kind of way here. All right. And, and so we see this triumph, we see this, this overcoming of the enemy uh, to such a degree that, that Esther actually has to ask for this sort of second day of, of, uh, of pillaging or, or, or profiting from the destruction that, that the Israelites exact on, on uh, those in the kingdom who are trying to destroy them. And all this happens because of a situation with Mordecai, if you will, all right? But, but here's where it shifts, all right? All of this stuff is happening, and, and all of these clashes are going on, and, and uh, Esther is in the kingdom, but she's unaware, and so Mordecai begins to let his identity be known because of this, this edict that has come down. And you see, here's the problem. Mordecai, um, and, and I, I, I don't want to be really hard on Mordecai, but I think everybody's too nice to Mordecai. I think everybody sort of makes Mordecai out to be this great guy, you know, and, and this, really, this really good guy, and he's, he's done something great to get his, his, his little niece in, in the, the kingdom and taken care of. I don't see it that way, all right? I would never be rejoicing in the fact that I turned my niece over to a horrible and evil king. I, I would not do that. Um, so I, I, I don't, I, I'm probably going to get some, some flack from some people for this, okay? But I don't really, I, that's okay. But listen to me. Here's this passive uh, Jewish man who is responsible for his niece, and he decides to set up a situation to try to get her into the kingdom of what is the most wicked king, the most uh, powerful king in the earth of that day. 
Um, and, and, I mean, this is the king who just deposed his wife because she wouldn't parade around in this lewd kind of way in front of his buddies and do this crazy kind of public display for him. And so he gets rid of her. He deposes her. And so now later he comes back and decides he, he wants someone else. And so all these beautiful young virgins are, are brought in, if you will, or are called in, are enticed in to come and, and parade before him. And he gets to choose one of them. And so he chooses Esther because Mordecai helps set this up for her to go in. And then uh, the eunuch there uh, also favors her and all of that. And so now she is the, the queen. Um, well, may, maybe you're one of those people who sees that as like, well, that was a good thing because now she's taken care of and, 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 and she's provided for. I, I don't see that. I don't see a man taking his niece and turning her over to a wicked king in a harem as being what is in a little girl's best interest. So I have a little bit of a problem with that from the outset, okay? That bothers me a little bit. And that, that he is this passive Jewish man in this Persian kingdom, and nobody knows that he's Jewish yet, all right? And then out of his stubbornness, he begins to make refusals, and he's not going to bow to a guy that he doesn't like, all right? And so he has this, what we call down south, this kind of stinky uh, attitude, you know, and, and I, I, I'll demonstrate it for you. you know, I'm not going to bow to him. That's not what I'm going to do. So he has this kind of stinky countenance about him, all right? And, uh, and, he, and he won't. And what happens is that jeopardizes all of the Jewish people. And so this Haman says, okay, if he's not going to bow to me, then I want all the Jewish people, I want, him, I want him killed, I want him destroyed, and I want all the Jewish people destroyed with him. Get them all out of here. And this is where we find ourselves in chapter 4. When Mordecai hears what has happened, he's beside himself. Now he feels the need to do something, all right? Now, he's already let this, this competition, if you will, this enormous competition where hundreds of women are paraded in, and, and this little Jewish niece of his uh, is, is, is now the queen as opposed to the orphan girl, all right? Um, but but he, he, he's not saying that he's done anything wrong, and in his stubbornness, he now comes to the gate and he begins to put on sackcloth and he begins to fast and, and he begins to pray, if you will. All right? Now, we begin chapter 4 here where it says, Mordecai le- learned all that had been done. Now, everything is out of his control at this point. He, has, he doesn't have any control anymore. And so Mordecai, it says, tears his clothes and he puts on sackcloth and ashes and he goes out into the midst of the city. And he cries out with a loud and bitter cry. This is public mourning, all right? This is public weeping. It's sort of like a a public protest, if you will. The decree has already been sent out. The death sentence has been put into effect, if you will. The date has been set, and and Mordecai is powerless, uh, but he's going to protest, all right? So he's going public and identifying himself now with God's people. Now... You, you, you've got the theme here of reversal already going on. 
and now it's starting to center on Esther. So in Esther chapter 4 here, she takes the lead now. She begins to move here, and she takes the lead, and she becomes the one that is at the center of this, this story of reversal, if you will. She's the, the type of Christ in the story, uh, if you will. It's, it's, the, it's the climax of the story here, and it illustrates what I, I think is really one of the primary themes, and that is how God takes things and he makes them new. This idea of reversal, if you will. This story of Esther has all of these things going on inside of it. And as I said earlier, the first, the first one is Vashti, okay? She's deposed and, and her position is reversed. Then the second one is Esther herself. When she goes from being this unknown little, little orphan girl to being the queen uh, of Persia. And then we get introduced to Mordecai and Haman and they're clashing opposites here. And then we get to this, what we just read. All right. In this chapter, chapter four, we see Mordecai and he calls on Esther to take action. This indicates to us that she was put in her position for this time. And so we start to see this nuance, this fragrance of God at work here in this. She agrees with Mordecai and, and she takes control of the situation and she says to Mordecai, she says to the, the, the community around there, the Jewish community, she says, you pray, you fast on my behalf. All right? Here's, here's another reversal, a helpless and weak little girl, Esther. She becomes the person who will save her people. She will save her people. We start to see, it's almost like fragrance. It's almost like, um, I, I went with my wife when we were in Chicago to buy some, some perfume. And we went in a department store. I don't even remember the name of the department store we were in. Uh, but we went in a department store, and, and this, there's all these fragrances there. And you can just start to smell them as you, as you start going in there. They just kind of fill the air, if you will. And so we have this kind of fragrance. We have this, this aroma, if you will. And it's like as you read through Esther, you get whiffs of it. You know, it's like, oh, God is at work in this. God, God even though his name is not mentioned... There seems to be this, these, these nuances of God at work here. And, and so we see Mordecai here as he calls on Esther to take action and, and, and saying that she is, she is put here for such a time as this, all right? And so she says, all right, you fast, you pray, you get the people together. I will go in to the king. But he has not called me. He has not bid me to come for 30 days. I haven't had any time with the king. He has not noticed me. He has not taken note of me. Now, there's an interesting law here, and it is that, that if someone just goes in to the king and they, they call to him, that, that is illegal. And, and the sentence of that is death. They will surely die. And Mordecai is saying, you need to go to the king. And she's saying, he hasn't even noticed me for, for 30 days. Mordecai's call to her, his challenge to her, if you will, is that don't think for a moment that you would be saved because you're in his household. And please understand that, that maybe it is that you have come into this position this time, this place, for such a time as this, for such an opportunity as this. Now, I looked at some of those words 
And, and the idea, the, the, the imagery of these words is, is something like this. You, you have come. In other words, and, and this is the way a, a Hebrew person might describe that to you. That, that word come indicates that you are slapped by something or you, something just knocks up against you like that. In other words, you can't get away from it. It, it hits you. And, and Mordecai is saying, Esther, this moment where you are in, in the kingdom as the queen, it's come to you, Esther. It's yours for such a, a time, a, a, a window, if you will, an opportunity. It's opened to you, Esther. You maybe have come just to this place. That's, that's interesting because I don't think that, that Mordecai saw all of this. I don't think he was saying, you know what, uh, Esther, we need to get you groomed. We need to get you looking good. You need to, you need to go in and, and do this thing of this, this year of spa treatment so you get really beautiful for the king and then get paraded in front of him because he's going to choose you. And I know that's the will of God because, because we're going to have to get saved down the road from this evil Haman because of my stupidity. And so I want you to do this because this is what God has said we would do. That is not where Mordecai was, folks. But suddenly, now that the crisis is upon them, and the people are surely going to die because, because Haman has become like Hitler. He is calling for a holocaust. He is calling for a total annihilation of the people. And so here is this little girl, and suddenly Mordecai is getting it. He's, he's smelling the fragrance of God. He's like, wow, God just, wow, God, wow, God just might be doing something, Esther, through you. You may be the answer to save the people. You, the, Esther, we can't save ourselves. We, we can't do this. But you, Esther, in your position, in who you are, you may be the one that can do this, all right? And so, so he talks to her, and, and she says, yes, I, I will go. So you fast, you pray, I'm going in, even though it could cost me my life, even though I could die. If I perish, I perish. Here's her only out. One who goes into the king unannounced and calls to the king, will not die if the king reaches his scepter out to them. That is the only way that they can live. And she says, if I perish, I perish. She is willing to lay down her life, if you will. And so as she does that, the king reaches out his scepter to her and she goes in. All right? Now, I want to pose this to you. This is really a resurrection story. It, in the sense that the people of Israel have been sentenced to death. They're as good as dead already, all right? Their, their gallows are, are being constructed, if you will, just as Mordecai's were, all right? Their enemies are, are already out there plotting and, 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 and deciding how they're going to spend their plunder and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's as good as done. They are as good as dead. And yet into this situation, 
that is totally hopelessness comes Esther. She steps in as the mediator. She is the one who has the ability to go to the king and to mediate on behalf of Israel. In and through her, this woman Esther, we have a story of absolute and total reversal where the intent was death and annihilation. A wrong judgment, if you will. And she steps into this. And it is absolutely amazing how we see God at work here in this little girl who is an orphan become queen, challenged to see the time in which she is living and respond beautifully and in many ways assertively to say, yes, I will do this. I will do what needs to be done. It is the story of resurrection. The Jews led by Esther who, who has been equipped, she's been placed, and she is willing to sacrifice her own life for theirs. This is the, the story. This is, this is the, the message. This is what shouts, if you will, because she is ruling not for her own good, in a sense, as she makes these decisions, but she's, she's ruling or making these decisions for their good. And, and she brings them out of the pit of death. And she helps them to triumph over their enemy, if you will, in some really, really wonderful and astounding ways. So Esther becomes this amazing mediator in her day. Boom. That's the story. And the end of the story is beautiful. Because evil is exposed and evil is dealt with. And as these men clash, Haman and Mordecai, and they, 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 they clash with one another, and it all unfolds in this, this amazing drama. Then the truth is revealed, and Haman is revealed for what he really is, this wicked leader who's a, an egomaniac and wants power and wants authority and demands everybody to bow to him. And this Mordecai who says, no, I, I can't bow to you. It's not in me to bow to you. He may not have been wise in the way he handled it. We may see his stubbornness coming out. But he wasn't going to bow to anyone other than his God. So given that. And so, as all of this comes around, then there's this final banquet where Esther says, I am one of the Jews. And she asks for a way out. And the king grants it. And so there is a day given when all of the Jewish men can go to battle to defend themselves. And that day is so great and so powerful that all of Persia is plundered. All right? All of Persia is plundered. And so Esther becomes this wonderful, wonderful mediator in all of this. Now, let me say this to you. I believe that that we applaud Esther for her place. But I want to take it now another step further. And I want to show you how that Jesus now is the better mediator. All right? Jesus 
ultimately the whole story, I think it, it, it leans, it, it yearns, it longs for Jesus, all right? This is, what, this is what we're hearing as we hear this story out there somewhere. We're hearing Jesus. You know, and at the end of Luke's gospel, Jesus, we're told, is, he goes through the whole testament and he shows how that, that it's all pointing to and pertaining to, to him. And so this story is, is a story in, a, it's just a little story in, in, inside of a bigger story. And we see here where some historians say as many as 15 million people are going to be saved. It's not the ultimate salvation. Ultimate salvation is going to come with Jesus, who who not only saves millions, but billions. Not just from Xerxes, but, but He saves us from the clutches of Satan Himself. Not just from death, but from the wrath of God Almighty. And this whole story, it leans and it, it, it yearns and it calls into the direction of the coming of Jesus Christ. And I want to challenge you as you, as you read through it, and I hope you will. I hope you'll go back and, and now and you'll, this will excite you and you will read through this, this short book of Esther. Because this is, this is where Esther here, she's this type of Christ because there's this problem, see? And the problem is that there is a conflict between a Persian kingdom and the people of God. And there is a death sentence here that has been decreed for all the people of God. And so what they need is they need a mediator. Now, the problem is that no one has access to the king. No, no one has a right to, to come before the throne but Esther. All right? She alone is the only possible mediator because she's Persian royalty now and she is of the people of God. She's both. She can reconcile the Persian empire and the people of God because she is both. And what she says is, if I perish, I perish. In other words, if I have to die to save my people, that's what I will do. Sound familiar? Fast forward to the garden. And the prayer of Jesus. Father, let this cup pass me. This is not what I want to do. This is not where I want to find myself. This is not where I want to be, Father. This is a heavy cup. It's a difficult thing. But, nevertheless, your will be done. And Jesus becomes the great mediator, if you will. He is the better mediator. Now, here's our problem. So it's, it's worse than their problem. Now, they're, they're under the judgment of Haman. We're under the judgment of God. Haman wrongly judged, but God rightly judges. And folks, we're all under a death sentence of sin and rebellion. We've not bowed down to God in, in worship and honor and obedience like we should if we're not believers yet. We've rebelled against him if we haven't accepted him. The sentence for this that we're born into is death. It's a sentence for all. And here's our dilemma. You and I cannot save ourselves. We cannot deliver ourselves. We have no access to the king's throne in and of our own right or our own good. So what does God do? Well... He gets off his throne. The one thing Xerxes doesn't do. (laughs) And he comes down as the man, Jesus Christ. And he lives without sin. 
See, we can enjoy the reversal because Jesus is our perfection. That's the beauty of Christ. All things are made new. Jesus says, if I perish, I perish. And he perishes. He dies. He dies in our place for our sin. And what he does is he reconciles man to God because he's God become man. Jesus being fully man and fully God is able to reconcile God to men and men to God. He's the bigger, the better Esther. That's why it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, there is one God and there is one mediator. Just like there was one mediator for the Jews, there is one mediator for us, and that mediator is between God and men. How do we bridge our conflict? How do we take care of our dilemma? We do it through the man, Jesus Christ. God became a man to mediate and reconcile himself to men, men to him. And the whole story of Esther shows us the terrible plight that we are in, but the beautiful way that God has made for us to get out. And so when you read Esther, you know, we, we read it romantically. We, we read it like, oh, how sweet, this little orphan. You know, we read it like we watch little orphan Annie. Here's this little girl, and she finds her daddy Warbucks. And she dances her way through everything. And it's, life is good and life is great. And all these other people dance with her. And, and, and at, at the end, this, this evil woman tries to, to get her back and tries to, to, to land the reward herself and all of that. And so there's this sort of battle that goes on. But in the end, the old lady is, is revealed and exposed for what she is. And Annie is reunited with Daddy Warbucks, and it's a great life to live. I, I, there's this little thread in there of something, you know, but, but this is no orphan Annie. This is a little girl who took the challenge to lay down her life if she had to in order to be able to see an entire nation of people, millions of people, saved, saved. And this is our Jesus. There's so much hope here for you and for me. And the hope is not in Esther. Hope is not in Mordecai. But the hope is in their God. And he's the hope for us. And so let let, let me close. Let me just contrast this story of Esther for a moment with you and, and, and give you a little further evidence of why I think Jesus is the better mediator here. And that is... You know, Esther identified with her people by disclosing her race, but Jesus identifies with us by joining our sinfulness and our race. Esther had to come to King Xerxes on his throne, but our King Jesus got off his throne and came to us. Esther had only access to King Xerxes once, but Jesus gives us constant access to his throne of grace. Esther's uncle Mordecai couldn't conceal his grief. But this Jesus sweated blood and anguish for hours. Esther's Mordecai thought, trusted, that the salvation of these people would come from some other place. 
Jesus is our great God and Savior, and he came down from another place to save us. Esther served as the mediator between her people and, and Xerxes, but, but Jesus serves as a mediator between God and us, his people. And Esther was willing to die for her people. Jesus actually did die for his people. Amen. Amen. And here's the beauty. He died, and he's alive. He's, he's alive. Here, here's where we shout, yes, resurrection typology. It's in there. That's, that's, that's part of what we see. He's alive and he's seated on the throne. So our good news is that, is, is that Jesus brings about the greatest reversal of all. I talked to one of our resident theologians about this a little bit, and, and uh, I won't tell you which one it was, but she talked to me back in an email. And... Uh, I want to quote her uh, for just a moment here. She sent something to me in, a, in an email, and I loved it. And, uh, and she shared it to me this way. She said, Jesus, chosen, equipped, and empowered, goes into the grave and comes out on the other side, able to save his people. Death is destroyed and her coffers plundered. Death is impaled on its own gallows by the one who appeared most weak and unlikely, much like Esther, weak and unlikely, an orphaned girl, if you will. But she was chosen by God, I believe. She was equipped, she was empowered, she was groomed, and she was willing to go, if necessary, to the grave to try and save her people. But death was destroyed. Evil was exposed and revealed. The battle went forth in these banqueting moments. And Haman hung on the gallows in the place of Mordecai. We come before our king, folks, knowing this. He will not kill us. In fact, he died for us. And he welcomes us always into his resurrected presence. So as we close, let me ask you this question. What is your part in God's mission? Because see, here's what's going on at this time. God's at work. We see this. That's the, that's the fragrance. That's the aroma that we are smelling, is that God is at work. He's working all, all around, if you will. He's working with some, some Jews in Persia. He's working uh, with his own uh, uh, who, who are maybe a little bit more obedient up in, in Israel. Um, there, there are actually three contemporaries here. It, it's, it's Esther, uh, Ezra, Nehemiah. Nehemiah's up there building the wall. Now, Nehemiah, he, if he were in our day, he would have gone to a business school or, or something like that. He would be a CEO, if you will, or he would be someone who has the ability to, 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 to gather people, to raise money, to, to bring about, you know, execute some kind of rebuilding process. And so he's up there doing this work of rebuilding the walls so that worship can be reestablished uh, in Jerusalem. And then there's Ezra, and, and he, he's, he probably wouldn't have gotten uh, that kind of a degree. 
He would have gotten a different kind of degree. He would, he would have been a, more like a theologian. He's the spiritual side of this thing. He's the, the preacher, if you will, the pastor of the people, all right? And so, so Nehemiah is saying, I, I, that's not me. I'm going to build the wall. I'm going to reestablish the worship. I'm, I'm going to make it so everybody can come home and be safe and worship our God. And Ezra says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call the people to worship. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to declare the Scriptures and the decrees of God and, and, and uh, re- restore the promises of God and all this kind of stuff. And I'm going to do that. But then we got this little girl down here in Persia, and she's saving the Jews. She's out there saying, I'm going to be like this Christ that she doesn't even know about. But that's what she's being like. That's, that's the type that she is. And she's working diligently to see the salvation of her people. And I, I would challenge you that we make that kind of application today as we are getting done here and closing this out. And that is, is what, what, what is God doing through you? How is God using you? How, what is your part in God's mission? Nehemiah doesn't get to preach, but Ezra doesn't get to build the wall. All right, Esther isn't in the place of either of those men, those leaders, but she is a woman who is willing to be like Jesus and make whatever sacrifice is necessary, take whatever risk is necessary to see the people saved. And God is using them all. And even today, God uses Esther to point us to Jesus. Wherever you're at, whatever part you have in God's plan, you are you are a part of his mission. I think this is encouraging. This excites me. My question for you is, what is your part in God's mission? What part are you playing? We're seeing Esther's part. We, we can see Ezra's part. We can see Nehemiah's part. Mordecai had a part. They're all part of God's mission. What's your part? Perhaps you are here for such a time as this. Perhaps there is something, something that is going on here. And perhaps you need to feel like this, all right? Not like you're out there and you can come and go. You're out there and you can, it can be hit and miss. You're out there and it's not necessarily a, a, a major or significant situation or relationship. No, you need to see that you are like this. You've been smacked by Yahweh. You can't run from this. You can't get away from this what God is doing in your heart and the mission he has you on. Because it's for such a time as this. It's not way down the road. It hasn't been missed. You are here for such a time as this. Amen.